Welcome to The Taste Buds, a podcast by creatives on that never-ending quest for tasty eats, beats, and peeps. I'm your host, Kira Wong. There we go. Hey, it works. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Hi, good to see you. Hey, what's up? Guys, welcome. Um, so as you can see, I'm doing things a little bit different this episode, uh, inviting new guests and keeping the group small. Um, so for the food pick this episode, I wanted to chat with some friends who run restaurants that I actually really like and find out how they're holding up um, in perhaps like the lamest year in recent memory. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just jump into the introductions, just going left to right from what I see on my screen. Uh, first, we have Tiffany Tanaka, uh, restaurateur. She's running, uh, helping run Petit Peso right now here in L.A., um, I think your motto is Filipino food with thoughtful ingredients. And I know your chef um, helped start up a, a well-known restaurant here in LA called Squirrel, um, which currently has a lot of, you know, controversy attached to it right now. Um, yes. But beyond that, she's also done Go Get Em Tiger and a PCP and a lot of other places. Um, and lastly, I know you worked with uh, your partner, Robert, at the Minna Group, right? Big deal. Welcome, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Next up, we have Kathy Fang. She's a chef restaurateur with a restaurant, Fang Restaurant, based in SF. And their tagline is that they're influenced by Northern and Southern Chinese cuisine, right? Yep. Yeah. And also, she runs House of Nanking, which it's an SF staple. Uh, I know there's a lot of family history there dating back to the 80s. And you've also been busy with TV shows, Food Network, Today Show, a number of other appearances. And you've also got a new book, right? Yes, the cookbook. Yeah, we get into that. Wow, congrats. Thank you. So welcome, Kathy Fang. Hi. I got to get that sound effect, the one that does like the the crowd cheer, whatever is that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do that in post. And last but not least, we have Lin Nguyen. She is a restaurateur that runs a Vietnamese establishment here in LA. And that started around 2015, right? Uh, We started in 2015 in LA. And then the family business run by my mom was started in 97. Yeah. So another family history there dating back to the 90s this time. Um, I've been to your place. It's great. And I know you guys are revered in the plant-based community as well. A lot of great reviews online and featured in LA Times amongst other publications. So excited to have you as well. You. Welcome. Yeah, so I wanted to start off this chat by expounding a bit more on the intros and finding out like what brought you into this world of FMB. Was it like a family thing that you grew up into or was it more of a moment that happened? Could you talk about that, Tiffany? Um, I think both of my parents coming from uh, entrepreneurs... Uh, my mom ran her own law office. Uh, my dad also being a lawyer, but ended up working at his own golf shop uh, really inspired me as well as uh, realizing along my path that a restaurant is the epitome of sharing valued cultures and experiences. And uh, I really wanted to be a part of that. Absolutely. And I mean, you probably love food too, right? Love food. Yes. <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. I know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, Kathy, what about you? 
so I grew up in the restaurant industry. My parents opened House of Nanking, which is kind of like an institution in San Francisco. And uh, that was sort of my daycare. And I learned the beautiful world of um, cooking and <clears throat> running a restaurant. And it's something that like, loved doing even when I was young like being in the thick of it so naturally it made sense for me to go and open one of my own um, and continue on the family business but yes obviously I love food I love I love the whole aspect of sharing cultures and meeting people through like your line of business that's how I met you Caro it's like it allows you to um, connect with people in a way that a lot of other jobs don't allow no, absolutely. And I remember even going to uh, your family restaurant, House of Nanking, way before I met you. And yeah, it's one of those places where you'd see the line on the, the block and all that. So having grown up in that kind of environment, um, those are some of your earliest memories, just being in the restaurant? Yes, those are all my memories. <laughs> like That was basically my home. I didn't spend really any time at home. I was always at the restaurant. And actually, I, I really love even seeing that now. If you go to Chinatown, you'll see a lot of the small restaurants. And I usually have lunch after lunch service. So it's like three or four. And that's when kids get out of school and you see them like hanging out at their grandmother's or their mom's or their dad's or uncle's restaurants. And they're like on their phones or doing whatever and that's basically that was me you know when I was young um but yeah oh they're lucky they have phones now <laughs> so yeah and Lynn you have a similar story right didn't you grow up in sort of that environment as well yeah I, I love to hear these ladies share their experience kind of having been in the industry for some time and kind of having many memories of it from childhood um, for, for me, food, of course, is also a connection. It's a, a way to create lasting memories. Um, I recall my mother running the other location and like forgetting to pick me up from school. And so oftentimes I was like that last kid hanging out by the gates, just like, like just waiting around to get picked up and the sun is like setting and I'm like almost in tears, but my mom would show up with like a new dish and it's just like in my lap as I'm riding home in the car. And I just, I think for me, those kind of memories really made an emotional connection for me with food and how it can um, uh, really like cultivate a bond with uh, someone in, in, in terms of even though they couldn't provide for me, you know, through and through and, and um, uh, in a complete way, like, you know, picking me up from school on time, um, but having something so nourishing for the soul aside from um, physical nourishment was, I thought, really beautiful. And at a young age, that really resonated with me. And I think that to this day is still the mental notes that I have and the connection. Yeah, I have. Now, now you understand being a restaurant <laughs> yourself, like the struggle and the, the hard work that goes into it. Right. And you know, they, yeah, like the food is the nourishment and the love, uh, being able to pro provide that to you. And um, I mean, it's really, I th thought it was really awesome how your, I guess the reality um, slash story of your mom in the restaurant came to be. I read a little bit that she had like some some health things going on or whatever, and the food was a big part of the healing, right? It was. Um, she had Cushing's disease um, early on in pregnancy with um, actually both myself and my older sister. So that's when hormones are thrown off in the body and you're more susceptible to high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. 
And she um, was able to come out of that um, pretty much cured uh, after going having a plant-based diet and maintaining it. So she wanted to share that passion with the community. Awesome. So you saw it firsthand and kind of like, you know, obviously you're a believer in that now carrying the torch. So that's really awesome. Thanks. So you ladies all have different ethnic backgrounds, doing different types of cuisines and are in some different locations even. Although one thing we can notice that you guys all have in common here is first of all, you guys are Asian boss ladies. And also... I've seen how you guys were able to successfully or tastefully elevate, you know, a uh, Asian dish, which a lot of people may look at and say, no, you can't change that or you can't elevate that. Now, with that being said, I just wanted to see what your approach is with maybe your own sort of concepts and input and influences into your dishes that made them the way they are. So... It's so fascinating. Thank you again for having me be a part of this with these amazing women. Um, I think, it, yeah, there's no right or wrong way to do any dish or uh, right recipe of showcasing a culture. I feel like uh, a lot of people, especially in Filipino culture, say it's supposed to be this way. And I think this day and age we're realizing that... Um, Food is more a part of storytelling and storytelling of uh, one owns background. And it could be even a combination of a, a couple different people's opinions of and flavors of their story. So um, with that in mind, Petit Peso and our tagline being the thoughtful ingredients, we really wanted to be thoughtful of uh, everyone that's a part of our restaurant and uh, we take into consideration each ingredient um, with the local farms that we use and uh, the process of how each dish is created. Um, I mean, we have one of our most popular dishes is the French dip adobo sandwich, which is definitely not... Well, you have me a sandwich. <laughs> It's not normal for Filipino cuisine, but, um, you know, we are petite peso, uh, petite coming from a smaller idea of what we uh, envisioned to do originally and uh, slightly uh, French um, aspects of cooking. Uh, Ria was trained um, in many different styles, but uh, one of them being French, as well as Robert, who is the operations, he was also trained French in operations and um, management. So uh, it's really cool to see how everything came with the punch, uh, came to be, and we're just rolling with the punches. That's it's interesting. I would never, yeah, I would have never thought like French and Filipino coming together. And, and making it work. So that's really cool. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the, um, the whole thing about, you know, especially the Filipino community, how they look at things and it's like, oh, it's not authentic, you know? And the funny thing is I went with a group of Filipino homies to check out a Filipino restaurant here in LA that had gotten some kind of like restaurant um, of the year award. So we went to check it out and it was a cool experience just because you know, obviously the people that I went with are also a little bit more open-minded like us. And, and, you know, although they grew up 
in the you know Filipino homes and all that, um, they have that kind of modern way of thinking. So it came down to a really interesting conversation we had about what's authentic, you know, because at the end of the day, um, the conclusion that we came up with was really it's just about the familiarities we have growing up. Because if you really want to dig deep, like, you know, whether it's Chinese or Italian or whatever, all those, you know, the, the, the traveling and the coming back and forth to different countries back in the day, that was all bringing different ingredients back and forth. So there really isn't a dish that doesn't have any, or you can't say that dishes aren't influenced by other cultures, right? So what is authentic, you know? I think it's also a balance of um, being authentic as well as approachable for everybody. Um, one of our goals as a Filipino restaurant, um, not many people know what Filipino food is. Um, and when you say like bagaong, like, I'm like, what is that? Like, you know, I'm half Filipino and raised, born and raised in Hawaii. And um, I didn't know very much about my Filipino side until most recently. So to relate and to understand with a different kind of regard um, and be not only approachable for other Filipinos, but for everybody was important to us. Absolutely. And I mean, Kathy, how do you kind of bring that approach when it comes to Chinese cuisine? Yeah. Um, so I would say... You know, my dad and I, like within our family, we have always wanted to take like traditional dishes and kind of put our own spin to it. And honestly, it came from the fact that like our whole family, whenever we're out, we eat Chinese food. And we always complain that everywhere we go, it tastes the same, right? You're always eating the same thing. Every banquet tastes the same, every restaurant, like, and so, at home, we were always making things that were different. We were like, oh, let's take this like typical wonton dish and let's like change it up and put this in there. Doesn't this taste better? And so our whole, like, our whole family is pretty creative in that sense. And when my parents opened their restaurant, they kind of applied the same philosophy. It was, you know, we want to be able to serve Chinese food, but different, something that maybe we would want to go eat at or something that, you know, like Americans or um, whoever like came to visit Chinatown would want to come and try it and say, hey, I just had Chinese food that's so different or I just had something that I've never had in my life and it's so tasty or you know, I've had wonton soup, but I've never had wonton soup like this. So um, we wanted to kind of put a mark out there. And that's the way we've always treated our uh, restaurant concepts. So when I opened Fang, it was the same kind of idea. We always want to take familiar dishes and put our own spin to it. And a lot of that ties into what Tiffany was saying is, you know, we could try to make something that's like extremely authentic, right? That people maybe have never had here, but it's like common in China. But is that, some, is that like a good stepping point to like bridge cultures? Probably not. Like my husband's the perfect idea. He's like, um, or perfect example, not idea. He's um, Asian, but he's like super white. So anything that I make that's remotely authentic, he's kind of like, Ugh. so I have to like come sort of in the middle, meet him in the middle. And so I kind of change it up and put familiar things in it. And then a lot of times it just ends up being like a new dish on its own. So um, like, we accomplish the goal that we want to accomplish by 
making creative changes to dishes that we grew up eating. And I still think we're winning and being successful at what we're doing, which is sharing our food and our culture and our stories. No, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, just being able to bring people in into the the community through food. And, you know, it's funny because the thing with creativity and, you know, even with music is that like a lot of people, there's different types of groups, you know, especially the the older generation. They're so resistant to evolution, change, um, new things, you know, and, and sometimes I could be that way too with like some of the new hip hop. I'm like, I don't get this. Um, but ultimately it is about evolution. It's about in creativity. It's about being inspired and doing new things, trying new things and not always just doing the old thing, you know, I mean, you can do that. That's fine. But I think it's great to embrace new and, and change and not just doing the same thing. So with, um, Vietnamese cuisine, I mean, I don't know too much about sort of the history with plant-based and Vietnamese cuisine, but is that something that's kind of, uh, always been a part or is that like a totally new thing that you guys are kind of uh, helping bring to the table? Yeah, um, I think in Vietnamese culture, it's not uncommon to find a vegetarian family, at least. Um, many Vietnamese families tend to be Buddhist and there are two days in the month that they will exclude meat from their diet and go to temple. Um, and looking at the cuisine itself, it's and the country, it's very lush. Most of our food is fresh greens, herbs, and then like a little portion of meat or seafood. So for my family to bring, my mother rather, to bring in the plant-based uh, diet to the Vietnamese um, recipes that she's learned growing up, I think it was um, a relatively uh, smooth transition because we would swap out whatever was a protein for a plant-based protein. Um, so it came down to the seasonings and um, bringing back those uh, like family learned recipes and, and talking about authentic. Uh, I think that when a restaurant has a genuine approach to the food that they're creating, I think that already is well accepted and there isn't too much question on how authentic is the food. You can present it as this is what I've learned from my folks from their parents as well. And then these are the ingredients that we think, at least in my, um, my concept is they're clean, they're a bit more refined, they're all natural. And this is what we eat on a daily basis. And this is what my mother, Mama Mai enjoys and would recommend to everyone. So um, that's how I feel about at least the authenticity part yeah, no. and being genuine with your approach. No, I agree. And, but I mean, there's just a lot of haters out there that won't open their mind. You know, even when I go to a Korean barbecue, like I see um, they put cheese, you know, on the side and you can dip the cheese. And a lot of Korean dishes actually are including cheese now, which is like kind of random, but it works. And I, you know, I just, even though it's so weird to see that, because that's nothing that we've seen growing up as Koreans, you know, it, if it works, hey, you know, I'm, I'm down, but. Some people wouldn't even touch it. Um, one of the main things I wanted to talk to you guys about with all of this too is, I mean, obviously this is a weird, weird ass year. And I just kind of want to see, you know, how you guys are doing in terms of your approach to things. So um, yeah, I guess we could just start with you since I'm already talking to you. Like, like how long were you guys closed and kind of what were the things that you guys have done to approach the situation? with COVID? 
Um, so my approach to COVID, um, well, to start with, um, my, my place was uh, serving 100 to 150 guests a day. Um, and now we're down to about 40 orders in a day. So you can already think on the metric of how we're doing, right, financially. Um, so I'm operating in really a shell of what I had going before with, um, with indoor dining. Um, so I, I think that my approach has had to be back to basics, um, really concentrate on product, product delivery, and see who's still seeking out that quality plant-based option in downtown. Um, we're still open daily. We are still serving lunch and dinner. Um, we haven't cut down on portion sizes or the quality of ingredients. So we're just gonna maintain that and um, continue a consistent and stable, um, but smaller operation and then hope for it to grow from there. I really respect that, you know, like kind of keeping the, the portion size and everything the same and also being able to um, deliver with these services. Um, Kathy, like I know, especially in San Francisco, delivery is such a key component. I mean, prior to even COVID, um, sometimes to the detriment of, you know, some people. Um, I've had chef friends tell me that they've kind of lost that love sometimes when they cook because they know it's getting tossed into a box and just like, you know, it's, they're not able to like see, you know, with their eyes, like what's, you know, the, the delivery and all those things. So does that in any way affect you or how have you kind of dealt with that? Um, yeah. So we actually are still closed. We haven't um, reopened. We closed in March, which is when shelter in place was put into effect. And um, the biggest reason, there are two reasons, biggest reasons is I had my second baby in March. And so I had an infant, um, newborn, and then we had, you know, nannies who couldn't come anymore because of shelter in place. And then um, the other restaurant that I helped run, which are my parents' place, they're also above 70. And so we sort of decided we need to just stay closed until we feel like we have um, you know, better protocols in place that are set from like San Francisco or the government. Um, and I think so far we still haven't really gotten any great guidance on how to really like operate and open safely. However, um, we've been keeping a close eye on how people and how chefs here in the city are reopening with takeout and delivery and what kind of struggles they're having and then trying to apply that to what we want to do with takeout and delivery. Um, our plan is to actually open back up in, uh, in September. And I think the things that a lot of chefs are doing and what I think we're going to end up doing is like essentially we want to create um, takeout items that are almost kind of like meal kits, you know, something where they're kind of putting it together when they get home versus like a completely finished product. Because like you said, Carol, a lot of food, if you've made it and it's look, it looks great, but then you throw it in a box and then it, it completely doesn't look the same anymore. So how do we make that finished product look the same in our customer's home? And that means taking it all apart deconstructing it and then having them put it together at home. So that's a little tricky because that's, that's a totally different business model. 
No, yeah. Um, I always thought that was, sorry to interrupt. I always thought that was genius though, in a way when you have places like Korean uh, barbecue and things like that, where they're actually making you cook your own food and put together your own. I've also had Vietnamese food where you have to do the, the rice paper and then like wrap it yourself. And yeah. it's a fun experience too, you know, but I thought that's always cool. Cause at the end of the day, if it's messed up, it's kind of on you, <laughs> you know, as a customer. <laughs> Yeah, like the customer, I, I feel like the customer is not going to be like, oh, well, the chef messed up on this. They'll be like, oh, clearly I'm not a good cook, right? Like, I totally messed this up. Everything um, is. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, I've seen a lot of different like meal kits where chefs go through great lengths where there's like, in, like a page long instruction on how you like put things together. And so um, I think that's one avenue that we want to take that we're working on. And then another avenue that we were thinking about going uh, towards was maybe some frozen food items. Um, but I did do some research, uh, mainly surveys throughout like neighborhoods. Um, and what I've noticed is that frozen food actually has a, um, a bad association with it. And I think it's because a lot of people think of frozen food as like TV dinners. And so every, every, I think it was like crazy. It was like 70% 70 of people were like, no, I wouldn't buy frozen food because it's like not fresh and like I can like make my own food. And I'm like, well, you know, it's like different from frozen food in a supermarket because that's mass produced. And so there are like additives and preservatives. Um, the list is that long. But if you're cooking it as if you were cooking it at home and just freshly freezing it, it's the exact same thing. And the quality doesn't really change. Um, and so it was kind of interesting. You know, when because um, there's this bread place that I love going to, their bread is amazing. And he told me that, honestly, if you just slice it up when you get home, because um, I can't finish that much bread in one sitting, slice it up, wrap it in saran, and then wrap it again in foil, put it in your freezer... Boom. It tasted exactly the same. I was like, yo, this is mind-blowing, you know? Um, so, yeah, the freezer is not necessarily your enemy. No. But so then it, I think I think being a restaurateur is really difficult right now. You know, essentially it's like now we have to figure out other ways to um, – I guess other ways to make sales because the traditional method no longer works. Or if it does, it's not enough to cover rent. It's not enough to break even. And so we're all like treading on water and we're trying to find a way for us to like at least be on a floaty or something until like we can get to land. But I mean, it's hard. It's been, you know, primarily accustomed to having sit in diners and not necessarily outdoor space as well. And even that, yeah, it's, it's not easy. And I mean, so you've been doing other things to kind of stay inspired, right? Did you have the book planned long before this thing hit? Yeah, the book actually was, I was writing the book before any of this happened. And I, it just so happened that the book was released, you know, during the pandemic, which has been great timing because everyone's cooking at home. And um, ironically, the book is essentially over 100 favorite takeout recipes. Uh, so it's yeah. like, it covers a wide range of Asian. Where'd you buy your crystal ball? I want to know where to <laughs> Um 
And yeah, so it's got like Filipino food, Vietnamese and Chinese and Japanese, um, just really, really easy, approachable recipes. I would say they are unauthentic. They're definitely not authentic. It's just stuff that you can make with hopefully things that you already have in your pantry. Oh, that's really cool. I like that idea. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to that or we'll post it on our uh, social media as well. What's the name of it? Um, it's called uh, Easy Asian Cookbook. Oh, you got it there. Oh, there you go. Hey, I like that. I like that. I you know, it reminds me of like the vibe of it reminds me of something I would have seen in my mom's cupboard, like when I was growing up. Uh, I don't yeah. know the aesthetic of it, which is really it's got a little retro kind of like 80s feel to it. But that was on purpose, right? A little bit, yeah, because actually a lot, you know, the, the my book goes through a lot of like historical aspects of how like Asian food started in um, the U.S. And a lot of like the growth in Asian food started actually like in the 80s and the 70s. And so it kind of has that retro feel to it because a lot of these dishes come stem from um, the popularity of Asian food at that time. That's really cool. Um, and you know, Tiffany, I know like with your location, you guys, um, literally opened up right when the lockdown happened or something like that. Right. We have no idea what it's like to be open during like normal, like without COVID. Um, we, it was, it's the smaller version of what we thought we were going to do. So it really, indeed, it's a blessing. Our place is really small, like 400 if that's square feet essentially um, made for takeout pretty much right if we regularly had um people there and open i think we could sit like two or three people so we're definitely more of a to-go spot in the middle of downtown la um the vibe there yeah has been really interesting during the pandemic and then after with the protest it was yeah, insane. Yeah, you were in the heart of all of the everything going on. And like, so was that, do you think that helped or hurt business in terms of all of that happening? It definitely slowed things down. I felt like I was in slow motion. Uh, when we first opened April 17th, uh, we were definitely doing better than expected. We were very grateful. And then... We're like, oh, it's not so bad for COVID. Yeah, it was really, the police cars were burning right in front of us, like right in front of us. Oh and uh, our window got knocked in. Um, and I think people were just scared of downtown LA in general. But uh, yeah, we prevailed and we're continuing. And um, yeah, we're just really grateful and we hope to stick it out. Things have recently started to turn around though, right? There's been um, some press and things like that going on. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, we're really grateful that there are a lot of supporters of the Filipino cuisine, as well as our chef, Ria, who's amazing. Um, she definitely has worked her way through, um, from, started from the bottom, now she's here. Like, <laughs> she really... You know, I'm really proud of her and um, her voice and who she's become today as a chef. Yeah, no, she's been very sort of firm in kind of what she's doing to approach the, the culture, right? And the food. Um, so I guess, you know, one thing I do realize is that 
music and food a lot of times go together uh, in terms of being a creative art form in a lot of ways. And also things that do provide nourishment in some way or another. Like when you're at the actual location, uh, is there any like music that you like to bump that kind of keeps you vibing? Or like, do you have a song pick? Basically what I'm getting at. This is yeah. for any of you guys. If you guys have a, a <laughs> pick, you guys want to throw out there because we usually do that. Ooh, so yeah, we definitely have a playlist. Um, lately, it's been uh, um, just inspirational music. Uh, <laughs> don't laugh, but it's kind of old school. It's from our generation. Uh, uh, P Diddy can hold me down, <laughs> and uh, yes. I want to say, uh, I know he's controversial, uh, Kanye, but back in uh, 2011 years ago, uh, he wrote that song, Heard Him Say. Oh, yeah, I love that song. As well as uh, Carol won uh, Windmills of the Soul. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, we have to get Carol won. He <laughs> was not paid for this advertisement. <laughs> Um, yeah. What about you, Kathy? Do you have any, uh, I mean, it's been a while since you've been working back there, but if you were. I do. Like I, so I created like a sip playlist, (laughs) just music that like I've been sort of listening to when I cook or when I'm like doing research on food and, um, dishes that we want to do. And so, um, there's like a huge list on there. And then I just recently discovered uh, Sabrina Claudio. Oh yeah, she's dope. Um, so I've been kind of listening to her a lot. Um, and some more like instrumental stuff lately too. Yeah, I love uh, Sabrina's song, Frozen. Have you heard yeah. that? Yes. It's a yeah. good, good vibe, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the reason why I'm asking you guys this specifically too is, you know, I, I, I mess with all you guys because you have good taste in music. Um, so Lynn, you have like a, a track that inspires you? Um, sure. So I have an eclectic playlist going at work. Um, we're listening to KCRW a lot. And one of the tracks that really stood out to me is it's called Echo Arms by Mr. Twin Sister. Okay. It's, a, it's an indie pop band. They have some like funky feel good vibes to it. So okay. I would say that is my pick. Um, if we're going to loop in a song from you. Um, I think Journey Together is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Okay, awesome. And especially on those walks to and from work within downtown that's now a ghost town, kind of empty and kind of have this time to reflect. Um, Yeah, really feeling that one. It's a thinking, yeah, it's a thinking beat, I feel like. Um, Like when I made that track, I did actually walk around in downtown a lot because I was living there at the time. And so I would like review it and kind of go over it and see what I need to change or add. And every time I did that, um, I would just look around downtown and envision the music video of it, which we did end up filming in downtown. So yeah, funny you mentioned that. I saw that and it's a block over from my restaurant, like where City Hall is, like the Grand Park and the fountain, that whole scene. Literally down the street, that's crazy. so yeah, since we're on the tip about you know like your your recommendations or songs that you like, what about like food spots? Do you guys have like one food pick outside of your uh, restaurants that you that you love to check out or? Uh, gosh, I mean, 
I feel like there's a lot of places because these days we haven't gone to any of them. So I'm like, oh, there's so many places that I miss. Um, I would have to say like, I miss sushi the most. And so there's a place um, called Hinata, which like next time you're in town, Kara, whenever that's going to be where we can actually eat out maybe five years later, um, we'll have to go there because it's like a like a 12 seater and then we usually get their last seating okay and we like drink and eat and hang out with the chefs and um they make like incredible food but they're like not snooty like when they close down they'll like pop open a bag of like cheetos and we'll just like hang out so it, it's kind of like the experience plus the food yeah, um, yeah. i i really miss that it's like the connection that you get with people through food since I can't get it through my restaurant now and I go eat at places to get that same connection. Um, I I think that's the part that I miss the most. Yeah. I love that. I love that juxtaposition of like eating some like great sushi and high quality fish and then like pop open a bag of Cheetos. (laughs) (laughs) Flaming hot Cheetos. (laughs) Now let's literally obliterate our taste buds, you know, (laughs) spicy greatness. I love, uh, right now, um, it's, I wish Yelp could change, like, to see all the alfresco late night dining. Because we're open, I can only eat really late. <laughs> so um, I do love the alfresco in Santa Monica because it's ne- next to the beach. And um, there's this place there called uh, Blue Plate Oysterette, okay. also owned by a, a female. Um, and... Their oysters are amazing, and you have a view of Venice and Santa Monica Beach. It's beautiful. Lime pies, homemade and mind blowing. Oh wow! I love I love when the the view is there, and also the food quality is there because a lot of times that doesn't. You know, I've I've talked about in the past uh, previous episodes how I had Japanese friends go to uh, what's that place? Um, the famous sushi place in Malibu, Nobu. Mm-hmm. Oh. And I don't know about the other locations, but they were just like, yo, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Lynn, do you have anything that? Uh, um, I can think of a spot that's like in historic core right around the corner from me. So I have to say support local. Uh, it is a plant-based pub and they don't advertise it as vegan. So you come through for the good drinks what's on tap, and then you find out the menu is all plant-based. And one of their specialties is sunflower cutlets. Uh-huh. And you can put it on a salad or put it within a burger. And I think one of the chefs is Korean or Korean-influenced in their creations. So you'll see like gochujang on like some of their burgers. Um, and I love bread and I love carbs. So they have like um, the soft pretzels, soft baked fresh pretzels. My favorite. Uh, the ones you used to get in the mall back in the day, like kind of thing. I got yeah. something. <laughs> Auntie Anne's. It's, a, it's called Beelman's. Oh, Beelman's. It's, it's on Spring Street. Oh, that's crazy that they don't advertise that they're vegan or plant-based. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a stigma associated with the term vegan. And I've also been seeing this um, term plant-based. So those are the same thing, right? And is that kind of just like the new wave, like calling it plant-based or? Yeah, I think there is a new wave with being plant-based in your diet, but it doesn't exactly mean that you're vegan. Vegan excludes all animal protein. 
and any animal product and byproduct. Um, being plant-based, you could also be vegetarian and include dairy. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a way for being plant-based. Um, and just coming from you know a customer perspective, you know, because I just I love to hit up different spots, try new things. Um, on the other side of the 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 register or whatever you want to say, like, do you guys have any sort of advice or kind of things that you would want to tell like customers? You know, aside just being decent human beings, like, is there anything that like you have advice wise is, is in terms of being patrons or like like if you have a problem with the food, maybe instead of like just going home and blasting a crazy review, maybe you can bring it up with you know the, the restaurant yeah. things like that. Don't be the quiet diner. Um, like I, I would, I would say that, um, like I actually don't care too much about like the reviews. There's always going to be good reviews and bad reviews. So, you know, whatever. Right. But I think the biggest thing for me is that when, when you're out dining, you're, you're coming for an experience, obviously. Right. Like, you can eat at home, you can get takeout, you can like cook, but you come to a restaurant because you have a reason to have some kind of experience, whether it's with friends or on a date or you don't want to eat at home. So if you're going to be doing that, um, just try to keep in mind that for you to have a good experience, you should have an open mind. And I think a lot of people come in you know, they want things done their way and this way. And if it's not this way, it's like not good. And it's like, well, if you want it that way, then just get it at home, right? You can get it exactly the way you want at home. The reason why you go out is to have an experience. And if it's the same thing that you would get at home, then why would you go out and do it? So like, that's the thing that I struggle the most with is like how a lot of people come in and they're so like closed minded about certain, and I don't want to mean it in an offensive way, but it's just like, if you just were to be like, okay, like, sure. Like I I'll try this or um, I've never had this before or I've never heard of it, but I'll try it. It's an experience. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Um, but I think if you do that, then you open yourself up to a lot more possibilities and you'll be able to connect with people more and you'll be able to try new things and perhaps find something new that you like that you never thought you would like. Um, so I, I wish maybe people will be that way after COVID, you know, having been home for so long, people are craving. Realize they're actually uh, shittier cookers than they thought they were. No, <laughs> but, oh yeah, that restaurant is pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> this is really hard to make. I can't do this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that that's the thing. It's like at that point they're just micromanaging, but it's like for me if I sense cuz you can sense the mood of a a chef when you taste their food, you know, you can see if they're happy or you know, like if there's a little bit of love in the dish and like if I don't feel the love then I might, you know, be unhappy, but yeah, other than that I I I like that attitude and that's a reminder to all of us. I think that also touches on like the whole topic of authenticity. Like I think authenticity is, comes from a chef as like an artist, just like a, a musician, right? Like if you're creating music that is representative of how you truly feel, whether it's like a style or, yeah. or, or a merging of different styles and creating something new, then that's authentic, even if it's something that's never been done before. But if you're a musician or a chef that's just 
doing the same thing that everyone's doing because it's like the cool thing now, like putting cheese on all Korean food, then like the chef who's just doing that because they're saying, oh, well, that's the new thing to do, then that in my eyes is not authentic. I think it's authentic to be the person who started it. It's authentic, right? To be like, I created it, even though it wasn't like an authentic thing to do, but I did it because I thought, you know, the way that the cheese melted with the sauce created this like special profile, flavor profile. So like he's speaking to like his own creativity and that's authentic, just like how music would be. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. Lynn? Um, I mean, I get a lot of eccentric characters. Um, with vegan food, there comes a lot of modifications. So someone may come through and say that they're allergic to corn, peas, broccoli, and it's like the bulk of a dish. And I feel like I become their kitchen. And it's like one item ordered, and then you'll see it pop up on the ordering screen as 90% modifications. Um, I think that's like a day-to-day crazy. I can think of like holidays, I think are tough on our end as a business owner, as restaurateurs trying to um, maintain a smooth operation. Like Mother's Day, I remember there was a family that came in um, with a very irate father um, wanting everything to be perfect. And he was really upset that the prep times took over I would say standard is like 15 to 20 minutes, like pretty standard for like gourmet cuisine that we make from scratch and we make to order. And it took maybe 25, maybe close to 30, but even so the entire restaurant was packed. And I recall like trying to rectify it in whatever way I could bringing another dish by or offering a whole round of dessert and drinks, just like I'm just pleading for this man to not, essentially write a scathing review that he had in the palm of his hand and he was ready to hit send to yell. Showed it to you? Huh? Like he showed it to you or metaphorically? Yeah, he had it in his hand. It was it was a one star. He's like finishing the last sentence of how terrible it was and that the manager was doing nothing. But I was literally like pleading for him to accept. I think I got to the point where I was wanting to say, okay, this whole meal for your family of five is comped. And, and um, I essentially did that and he got up and then posted it. So I did offer him a complimentary meal and I took the hit of a poor review. So that was one of the crazy incidents. A jerk. If that picture of him got posted on Twitter, you know, it'd be a, like, uh, Twitter is crazy. Like, just especially these days, you see like how someone that does something shitty is caught online and once they're exposed it's like twitter just goes crazy you know like finding their address like (laughs) getting them fired yeah and a lot of places a lot of times that's justified you know like those the crazy racists and stuff um but yeah kathy it seemed like you had a couple uh situations as well maybe uh with customers yeah i've had many um you know i think the reason why we had a lot is one like Fang's been around for 10 years and like House of Nanking's been around 30. And I think, you know, we're kind of the type of place where you either like love us or you hate us because we're 
we're not in between, right? We're like kind of an extreme. So our food isn't authentic. It's like very different Chinese, different Chinese food. Um, like House of Nanking is a fast turnover spot. So it's not known for service. We like to tell you what to order. We don't want you to order off the menu. We're kind of aggressive. Um, Fang is kind of the same way, but like in a nicer setting. So sometimes that can be like kind of shocking and surprising to people. So you always get stuff like, oh, bad service. Food was good, but like the service was horrible. Or um, I always get stuff where people think that like, you know, people shouldn't have to pay a lot for great Chinese food. And if they do, then it's like overpriced, which I have a big problem with also. Um, so much so that I think, you know, my dad's kind of, much older and he's like gained all the stripes so he can say whatever he wants to say. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but you know, my dad will like put him like he'll set him straight. If someone tells him, Hey, you know, I think we got overcharged because, you know, I've been to other Chinese restaurants and eaten like this amount of food and um, have only paid X amount of dollars. And my dad's like, look at this table. Look at how much food you have here. Like, could you get the same amount of food if you went to a Western place, you went to an Italian place or a French place? Like at the end of the day, it's like kind of racist. Like, you know where they're getting at, right? They're not really comparing you to another Chinese restaurant. They're comparing your value to like other non-Chinese restaurants, non-Asian restaurants. And that's like, that's the thing, but they won't say that. And, but we know. And so my dad would be like, can you name a place that you can go to? And they'd be like, um, and my dad like, aha, you got eight to nine courses. No way in hell would you get. And then like, they're kind of like, Ooh, so then they, they end up paying them out. And if they don't come back, then we're like, that's not the type of customer we want anyhow. So it's like, fine, whatever. We like, said what we had to say, at least my dad has. I haven't gotten to that point yet, um, but maybe maybe in 10 years, I'll be like that same person because I feel, this, I feel the same as like my dad. I just, I don't have the balls yet to like tell someone, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> Go ahead, put that on yourself. He was doing that in the dining room. That's gangster. That's awesome. Uh, well, hey, maybe one day we'll see your video on Twitter and everyone will applaud you. <laughs> You know, I'll be like, I'll tell my staff, record this, put this on Twitter. <laughs> Always record, you know. Um, is there anything else you guys want to add? Or I do have one thing. Yeah. With, with all that being said, and go dad. I love that. Like, <laughs> dad can say that. And um, yeah, if, if, you know, the customers that don't want to support a restaurant, all good. You don't need them. <laughs> and if they're writing bad reviews, please don't come back. But uh, I feel like there's something to be said about uh, setting ones. I mean, Yelp doesn't say it all and have it all. But, you know, I, for myself, when I hear someone say something about a restaurant that they've never even been to yet, I'm like, but you don't know because you've never actually gone through the experience. I, before I, you know, I catch myself, if I have a comment to say about that, I won't say it. I'm like, I've never been there. So I, I don't, I really don't know. And if I have, I try to give a place three shots. Three like times. Yeah. Nice. That's very fair. 
Yeah. There's so many factors that come together to run a place. So yeah. you never know. It may just be an off day. Yeah. Exactly. No, definitely. So yeah, I mean, and I also wish like Yelp would have some kind of verification where it was like, okay, if this person actually purchased something or visited this restaurant, then they can set a review. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, you know, that's the least that they can do. Kind of like how Amazon at least, you know, will show verified purchase if you're going to review something. Um, I wish you could review the review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you could respond to, to, um, to reviews, right? Yes. As an owner, yes. But I wish like if they, Yelp could open up the gates, the floodgates of other people's review of any review to really, you know, back yeah. it up. It, it seems like they've consciously made that effort to not make it a place to socialize per se, which is funny uh, in that regard because they have like messaging and, you know, all the components of sort of a social media platform. But yeah, for some reason, I guess you can't go that extra layer. Like have a conversation with a reviewer? Yeah, um, like just in the comments or, you know, like kind of how like with Twitter, you can go on this common thread. Yeah. Like some customers might want to go in there and back it up and be like, well, actually, you know, what you're saying is wrong or, you know, this and that. Um, and, you know. That's a good idea. Yeah, for better or worse, I think that's one of the sort of the things that make Twitter so popular amongst, you know, especially the younger people because they like to they like to speak out, you know, uh, sometimes too much. But at least, you know, you can have like a double-sided conversation. So, well, yeah, who knows what'll happen. Maybe I'll check in with you guys in the future and see how things are moving and with all the technology and, and with everything going on. Um, it'll be interesting to see the future. Yes. Yes. We're well, going to go buy your book now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go buy her book. <laughs> yo, this is definitely the time. Um, thanks again, guys, for joining. Uh, Tiffany, Kathy, Lynn. And uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. Peace. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having us. Bye. Nice to see you. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, that was our episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. On our Instagram, you can follow us at the Taste Buds Talk and feel free to DM us messages, any questions you have directed towards someone in the crew, or if you have topics you want us to discuss, feel free to hit us and we'll check it out. Peace. Peace.